chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 1 it says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Now, if you'll allow me to summarize, he said, I want to stir up your minds, I want to remind you of the words of the prophets. I want to remind you what the prophets said. That's sort of what I'm going to do this morning, is remind you a little bit about what the prophets said. Now, in verse 3 it says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You know, the world is full of scoffers. Did you ever notice that? There's scoffers all over. If you're out talking to people about the Lord, sooner or later you're going to run into a scoffer who's going to say, oh, sure, you believe in God. You probably believe in Easter Bunny too, don't you? And, And they're going to laugh at you for believing in God. And if they hear that you believe in the Lord's return, oh, they're going to have fun. The scoffers, oh, they love to scoff. And they'll say, oh, sure, Jesus is coming back. That's what all these Christians are always saying. Oh, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Yeah, sure. Your grandpa told my grandpa that Jesus was going to come back. Did he come back? Huh? No. Your daddy told my daddy that Jesus was going to come back. Did he come back? No. And now you're telling me the same thing. What are you people going to wake up and realize this is all just a fairy tale? It's not going to happen. That's what the scoffers say. And it can be intimidating when the scoffers scoff. They say, you know what? You guys all say, you know, God's going to come back. But everything just goes on as it's always going on and nothing's going to ever change. What do you say when they come off with that? It can kind of intimidate you if you're not careful. But you know what? I love it when scoffers scoff. I just love, you know, you, you kind of want to grab them by the hand and say, oh, God bless you. I'm so excited to hear you scoffing. And you say, why would you say that? Because, because just think. His scoffing is a fulfillment of prophecy. I say, God bless you for scoffing. Did you know that 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Peter said that you would be scoffing at me? Not only did he say you'd be scoffing, he told me exactly what you were going to say. It says here that you're going to say, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And you just said that, just like he said. And not only that, you want to know the best part of all? He said that was going to happen right at the end before the Lord comes back. Your scoffing is evidence that the Lord's return is nigh. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That is not the response they're looking for. Uh, But it's true, folks. The scoffers that are on every hand are just evidence that the Lord's return is nigh. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Go over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verse 1. In this passage of scripture, Jesus and the disciples have been in the temple. They're getting ready to leave the temple. And it says here, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. The temple was magnificent. It was glorious. It was the most fantastic structure on the earth at that time. They were astounded by it. And the disciples were just like, Woo! Look at this place. This is incredible. Lord, did you see this? The Lord's answer wasn't what they expected. Verse 2, Jesus says, See not all these things? 
Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, Jesus here makes a specific prophecy. He says that the temple is going to be destroyed. Soon after this, he went to the cross. He allowed himself to be tortured, to be crucified, to be nailed to a cross. His blood was shed, was poured out in payment for our sins. He died, he was buried and laid in a, in a tomb. On the third day, he rose again, just as he said he would. It's through him that we can have salvation and only through him. Several years passed. And Israel, as Israel was wont to do, Israel once again rebelled, rose in rebellion against the Roman Empire. And the Romans said, enough. Enough of these people. And they sent the Roman legions down into Israel, led by Titus. They came into Israel and they went through army after army, destroyed city after city until they came to Jerusalem, put it under siege. And day after day, week after week, the siege tightened and tightened and tightened until finally the Romans broke into the city. And folks, it was horrible. It was terrible. They spared no one. Man, woman, or child slaughtered them all. Blood ran in the streets. It was a horrible slaughter. And then they torched the city. They put it to the torch. They burned the whole thing. The nation of Israel was destroyed. It died that day. The, most of the Jews were killed. Those who survived were either taken into slavery or were scattered to the four winds to the nations of the earth. Uh, and, and, and Titus got done and he looked. The, the city, was, everyone was dead or gone. The city was burned. The temple there on the Temple Mount was burned. And he said, you know what, that's not enough. And he sent his soldiers up there until they tore it down until not one stone stood on another there. And the prophecy that Jesus Christ made in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 2, was fulfilled that day in 70 A.D. Now, I want to bring that up because that's a very important moment in history. I think about prophecy as though it were a great clock with the hand that's swinging. And, and, and every, time, every time a prophecy is fulfilled, it goes tick, tick, tick. Uh, and during the life of Christ, when he was here with us on the earth, it was kind of like it was going tickety-tickety-tickety-tick. It was just a running, because one after another of the prophecies of the Messiah were being fulfilled. It was happening just amazingly fast. But then we come to this place, 70 A.D., this prophecy is fulfilled with the destruction of the temple, and you hear it go tick, and then a strange thing happened. The clock froze. It seemed as though from 70 A.D., it seemed as though prophecy slept. Little or no prophecy was fulfilled in the years following that. There was a period of time when nothing was happening. There were still many unfulfilled prophecies all throughout the scriptures, but not a thing was happening. It seemed as though nothing was being fulfilled. It was over. The clock just like froze in one spot. And that went on for 100 years. For 200 years, for 500 years, for 1,000 years, for nearly 1,900 years, nothing. Prophecy slept. The clock was frozen. And oh, the scoffers had their day. Oh, did they have fun going around saying, oh yeah, where is the promise of his coming? You have all these prophecies. 
Where are they, Christians? You say this is God's word. Well, your prophecies aren't being fulfilled. In fact, they're not being fulfilled for hundreds of years. In fact, they're not being fulfilled for thousands of years. I'll tell you what's more than that. Not only are they not being fulfilled, they can't possibly be fulfilled. Because most of the prophecies have to do with the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel doesn't exist. It hasn't existed for almost 2,000 years. Not only aren't they being fulfilled, they can't possibly be fulfilled because the nation is gone. You Christians need to wake up. It's never going to happen. And the scoffer scoffed. And Christians weren't sure how to answer. I mean, that's hard to answer, isn't it? But then day before yesterday, something happened. Now, when I say day before yesterday, I mean 1948. Now, some of you think 1948 is a long time ago, but prophetically speaking, that's day before yesterday. Go with me to the book of Ezekiel. Let's look at what happened in Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel chapter 36, you and I live in some of the most amazing days that have ever been on the face of the earth. Right now is it, folks. We are living in an incredible time. You say everything just goes on as it ought? No, no, not at all. Things are happening. It started in 1948. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 says this. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Can you try to imagine this? Israel is dead, buried, turned to dust, gone. A corpse for 1,900 years. And in 1948, on a bright sunny spring day, that corpse stands up and walks. After 1,900 years of there being no nation of Israel, in the years leading up to that, God begins to do just what he says right here. 2,600 years ago, he said, I'll gather you from the nations of the earth. And God begins to bring Jewish people back to the land of Israel from all around the world, gathering them together. And on that spring day in 1948, David Ben-Gurion gets up on Rothschild Street in Tel Aviv, about three-quarters of a mile from our church, and says, today... We declare the reestablishment of the nation of Israel and a nation that was dead for nearly 2,000 years stands up alive. Prophecy is fulfilled and the clock that has stood frozen for 1,900 years goes, tick! And it's game on. Everything changes. And the days we are living in are full of drama and full of excitement because of that. Now you say, well, so what? That was in 1948. That's ancient history. You kids. What am I going to say? You think 48 is... Okay, well, let's get more recent thing. Jeremiah 31, verse 8. Go over to Jeremiah 31, 8. Boy, we could spend all day long in Jeremiah 31. There's a bunch of good stuff there, but we won't. Jeremiah 31, 8. Look at what it says here. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travaileth with child together, a great company shall return thither. What is Jeremiah saying? He says, I'll bring them from the north country. He says, the day's coming that I'm going to call the people of Israel from the north country. Well, where's the north country? If you look at a map, you grab, okay, here's Jerusalem. What's straight north from there? Russia. When Jeremiah wrote this, 
there were no Jewish people in Russia. But God knew. He said, the day's going to come when I will call my people from the North Country. And as I've already said earlier, Russia had the third largest population of Jewish people of any country in the world. And when the Soviet Union fell, the Iron Curtain went down, they left. They came swarming out of there in a great company. They came down, a million and a half of them came into Israel. And when they did, folks, this is happening in the last 20 years. In our lifetimes, with our eyes, we have seen this happen. The fulfillment of Jeremiah 31.8, when God said, a great company will return thither. Would you say a million and a half counts as a great company? I think that would work. Okay? We are seeing the fulfillment of it. So in 1948, we see Israel reformed. In the last 20 years, we've seen the Jews returning to the land. Go back over to Ezekiel, verse Chapter this time, chapter 38. Ezekiel 38 says this. We'll start in verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Okay? Now, what in the world is this talking about? Well, Magog is a country. Okay? Most scholars agree that Magog is Russia. Okay, and he says, set thy face against Gog. What's Gog? Gog is the ruler of Magog. So Gog is the ruler, Magog is the country. Magog, most scholars believe, is Russia, so Gog is going to be the ruler of Russia. This might possibly very well have been written about Vladimir Putin. Okay? And so maybe, it may be that when things are all done, we'll look and say, yep, that was Putin he was talking about. Set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, Verse 3 says, And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Would it make you nervous if God said that to you? I'm against you. I don't want God to be against me. What does God say he's going to do? And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws and will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. God says, you know what I'm going to do to you, Russia? I'm going to reach up there and I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. I'm going to turn you around and I'm going to bring you down into Israel. That's what God's going to do. And if we study further, he's going to destroy him there in Israel. Okay, now, the point that I want to make, though, is not only do we know that Russia is going to come down against Israel, but Russia is not coming alone. Now, I need to explain. I've lived in Russia. I live now in Israel. Russia's a big place. Okay, it stretches, America, we have what, four time zones here in the continental U.S.? Russia stretches across 11 time zones. Can you imagine that? Okay, say it another way. Moscow, the town that Rhonda and I lived in for 14 years, is a little town of 15 million people. 15 million people. I moved from a city of 15 million to a country of 7.5 million. Okay, so the, the whole country that I live in now has half the population of the city I used to live in. Russia coming down against Israel is like elephant coming down against flea. Okay, it's not an even match, but that's not bad enough because Russia's not coming alone. They're bringing friends. Look at the next verse. Okay, in verse 5, it says, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. It goes on in verse 6. Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagarma and the north quarters and all his bands, and many people with thee. 
Not, it's not bad enough that Russia is going to attack Israel. It's going to have this enormous alliance of other countries that are going to gather together with it to attack Israel. Well, what's that about? What's happening there? Well, let's look at these countries. The first one it says is Persia. Well, there's no country named Persia in the world. Yeah, it's because we call it Iran today. It's the country of Iran now. Okay, what is Iran up to? Iran is led by a guy named Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. He is a nutcase, okay? He is a radical Islamic jihadist type. His, his stated goal, it's like he's really open about this. This is not a secret. It's not a secret plan. He's like all the time talking about it, is to destroy Israel and hopefully America. He believes that if he can destroy Israel, that it will bring in that they have this, this Muslim Messiah is going to come and take over the whole world if only they can destroy Israel and probably America. And so he, this guy believes he's on a mission from Allah to destroy Israel, destroy America, and bring their Messiah in. And he's committed to doing this. Now you're going to say, well, this is just talk. No, it's not just talk. They've built the rockets to deliver the weapons. They're already designed, built, tested on the pads. Okay? Now they're building the nuclear weapons to do it. They, this summer, by the way, we're halfway through the summer, this summer they will have enough nuclear material to build the nuclear bombs they need to destroy, to destroy Israel, to put on top of the rockets they've already built the ship to, to fly over to, to blow up Israel. Very soon this man will have in his hands, if somebody doesn't do something to stop him, enough power to push a button, send a rocket, and in five minutes to do what it took Hitler five years to do, kill six million Jews. That's his goal. Okay? How is he doing it? How is he able to build these nuclear weapons? He's got help. Who's helping him? Who do you think? What's it say here? Russia. Okay? Russia is allied with Iran building weapons against Israel. That's what's happening, okay? Not only that, Ethiopia and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, and, and, it, and it mentions many people with them. Have you noticed the Arab Spring? Remember Arab, the Arab Spring, the wonderful time when all the evil Arab dictators went away and it was replaced with peace, love, and democracy, right? Do you believe that nonsense? Okay, what's happening is all across the Arab world, evil, rotten, wretched dictators are being thrown out of power and being replaced with hardline Islamic jihadist dictators that are way worse than the guys that are being thrown out. Okay, what's my point? My point is, here in Ezekiel 38, it describes an alliance. Russia with Iran, with these other Arab countries. They are already all working together. The alliance that's talked about here is already in power. It's already operative. It's already working. The stage is set. You want something more recent than that? How's last month work for you? This didn't come all the way, but it's, it's close. Look at the next chapter, Ezekiel 39. Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I against thee, O Gog, the chief priests of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, listen to this, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. It says he's going to bring down Gog's troops, the Russian troops, on the mountains of Israel. 
you're watching the news and you're seeing about the big conflict, the civil war in Syria, right? You've got the evil Arab dictator, Assad. You've got the rebels who are re that are fighting against him, and there's a civil war going on there. Now, I want to step back in history just a little bit. Israel and Syria in 67 and in 73 fought wars with each other. The war in 73, the Yom Kippur War, has never been ended. There's not a tr there has not peace been signed. There's just a truce. There's a ceasefire right now. But there's not peace. And so between the borders in the Golan Heights, right next to the, right next to the Sea of Galilee is the Golan Heights. There's these big mountains right next to the Sea of Galilee. And those heights are the, where the fighting between Israel and Syria took place. And so on the Golan Heights, there's a strip of land. It's a demilitarized zone to separate the two fighting armies. And between it, patrol UN peacekeepers. Okay, you with me? And the, the Syrian rebels that are fighting Assad... They keep picking on the peacekeepers. They keep taking them captive and kidnapping them and harassing them and doing all kinds of mean things to them. And a bunch of the, a bunch of the UN peacekeepers have said, enough of this. This isn't any fun at all. We quit and we're going home. And so now we don't have it, they don't have anybody to do to keep the peace up there and it's a big problem. And so, don't worry, it's okay. Because our good friend Vladimir Putin picked up the telephone on June the 8th and called the United Nations and said, it's okay. I would be very glad to send Russian troops to the mountains of Israel to keep the peace. Anybody want to let the fox in the hen house? The Russians are volunteering to come down on the mountains of Israel. And when I heard that, chills went up and down my back. It's Ezekiel 39 coming to, coming to pass right in front of our eyes. The UN didn't accept the offer. But wait for it. It's coming. Okay? Just like the scriptures say. Now, everything that I'm saying today is we're going through all of these prophecies. What does it mean? What, it's, what, what is it all coming about? People say to me, Sam, are you saying to me that you think that the end times are, 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 are about to come, that we're getting close to the end times? No, I am not saying that at all. I'm not saying they're coming. I'm saying, folks, they're here. We're up against it. It's happening right in front of our face every day. If we could somehow look up into heaven today, I don't think you'd see God sitting on his throne. I think you'd see God standing up, standing up in front of his throne and he's looking down over the threshold of heaven. He's looking down intently at the earth. Next to him is Jesus Christ. And he's like this. He's ready to go. He's waiting for the signal because his coming is nigh. And over here we've got Gabriel with his trumpet. And he's holding it up, and he's licking his lips, and he's looking over at the father. And the father probably actually doesn't wear a Timex, but, but you can almost see God saying, ready, ready. I think that's where we stand right now. Gabriel's ready to blow. The Lord's ready to come. They're waiting for God saying, now. And the trumpet's going to sound, and the Lord's going to come. Folks, we are that close to the Lord's coming. Now go with me, last place, back to where we started, 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 
in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now, everything that I've said, I've said to come to verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? This is the question that you and I need to ask. Seeing then that the Lord's return is upon us, what kind of people ought we to be? That's the question we've got to ask. I'll give you quickly three answers to that. The first answer is, we best be saved people. You know, I believe there are a lot of people in our churches that come to our church that everybody thinks you're saved, everybody thinks you're born again, and you know in your heart that you're not. You've heard the gospel over and over and over about the death, burial, and resurrection that only by repentance of sin and faith in Christ can you be born again. You've heard that enough that you can say it as well as a pastor can. But you're sitting there in your seat and you've not been born again. Are you crazy? This is not a game. The Lord's going to come back and you're going to get left. You're going to miss it. Folks, this is not a funny thing. If you're not saved, you best get saved before you lose the chance. Today is the day. It's not something you should be playing with. The first thing, what manner of people ought we to be? We better be saved people. We better be sure of our salvation. Second thing, what's it say right here? In all holy conversation and godliness, we better have our lives right with God. We better get rid of the secret sin that nobody knows about. We better get our sins confessed, and we better be seeking God with our whole heart and serving God like we should. We're going to stand before him and give account. We want to be able to do that without hanging our head in shame with hot tears streaming down our faces. Let's get right with God. He's coming. And the third thing I need to say, and maybe the most important thing, what manner of men ought we to be? What manner of people ought we to be if the Lord's coming back? I want you to think about the lost people. The ones in Israel, Africa, Asia, Europe, South America, North America. How about the ones where you work, where you go to school? The ones on your street, the ones you go bowling with. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Night cometh when no man can work. Pretty soon, the opportunity to witness to the lost will be over. Pretty soon, their fate will be sealed. Today is the day that we've got to get the gospel to them while time remains. Before night. Before we lose the chance. We've got to get the gospel to the lost. Now, while we still can.